Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, you ready? We're jumping in. We're still doing our Ask series. How many have been enjoying the Ask series so far? Three people. That's good. How many, your prayer life has been transformed? All heads bowed, eyes closed. It's been a kind of a journey for me because I, I really feel the Lord put his hand on my heart and life to amp it up, to turn up the volume in my prayer life and just to, to be more purposeful and on purpose. So this is kind of a working, a working sermon series because it's working on me and I hope it's working on you. So I'm having an experience in public. And uh, I thank God for what he's doing in our hearts and our lives. Amen. Little recap. How many love recaps? Really? Okay, here we go. Going to give you one. All right. God needs you to pray. Number one, that was right off the top. God needs you to pray. It's not that you need to pray. God really needs you to pray. God has arranged everything so that whatever's going on on earth, if God's going to do anything on earth, he needs to find somebody in an earth suit. Just slap somebody close to you. Some of you got chairs between you, but... You know, he needs one of us to hear and agree with heaven, and he needs to manifest himself. Somebody down here has got to say, what heaven wants, I declare, and what heaven desires to come into manifestation, I pray, and I command it to come forth. So he needs us to pray. And we looked in John chapter 16 in the upper room in Jesus' last discourse before the cross. This, literally, this, this changes everything. That's, that's really what this whole uh, upper room discourse was about. This changes everything. And he said, there's a new covenant. There's a new way of operating. There's a new way. He, he set up a new way of interacting with heaven and how heaven interacts with earth, a new way that we connect with God. But he also gave us a new way to pray. Say a new way to pray. You know, if I said there's new keys for the church and all the key holders, please go to the office and we're going to get you new keys. If you use the old keys next week, you wouldn't get in. And Jesus is saying, there's new keys, there's a new way, there's a new operation in the realm of prayer. And that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you until now. You had never prayed like this before. This has never been an operation that you did. But from now on, it's never been done before. But from now on, you ask nothing in my name. But now ask in my name, ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. So we don't have to beg God to come out of heaven and help us. God said, I came out of heaven. I've manifest myself. I've dealt with every problem and every issue. And now I've given you authority and I've given you power. It's your turn. High five. Boom. It's your turn. Call things into the earth. Call my will and purpose into your life, into your world. Call it to come into manifestation in the name of Jesus. According to the name, with the authority that he has given us, with and according to the will that is found in that name, we declare things in the name of Jesus and all of heaven stands at attention and brings into manifestation the whatevers. Whatever you're asking in the name of Jesus, it's a whole new way of praying. It's a whole new way of praying. And so many even new covenant people are, are still using old covenant ifs and buts and pleases. And, and God is saying, yes, yes. And he's looking for someone to just agree and manifest the kingdom. So God needs you to pray. Turn to your neighbor and say, God needs you to pray. All right, so then we jumped into the next thing, just praying on purpose. And praying on purpose, we talked about five things, a time for prayer, place for prayer, voice of prayer, talked about the specifics of prayer, and we talked about agreement in prayer. And I love that because Prisca, who we renamed Priscilla, she was in her small group, and she said, I believe in for, for healing in my, in my leg or hip, I think it was. And, and there in small group, she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a demand on agreement. And they prayed for her. She was healed instantly. Are you still healed, Priscilla? Prisca, are you still? Amen. I mean, I love that. God touches people in small groups. That's a good reason to go to a small group. He touched me, oh, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know, 
how many were really moved by that? Just really touched. I just, amen. I t- felt the glory. On, you felt the glory on that? All right. You can get prayer later. Amen. So <laughs> praise Jesus. I'm telling you, he's a good God. So we, then we went into the posture of prayer. And I, I got a little carried away last week. I don't know. I said a lot of stuff. I think it was good. But in my small groups, I said, what's the posture of prayer? People go, oh, your heart. Uh, sitting down, standing up. I went, my God, I got to preach that one again. The posture of prayer, God said, come boldly. God said, man, he said, he said uh, look at this verse right here. It says, everyone who asks, receive. Everyone who seeks, find. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Is everyone here today? Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, it will be open. Sometimes just ask, it's done. Sometimes you ask, you seek, get some revelation, and then boot, and the door opens, and you got it. But it happens for everyone. And then he added to that a little story about a friend. And he said, you got, you got some friends, some guests dropped over late, and you don't have any bread, so you went to your neighbor, hey, give me bread, Fred. I don't know if his name's Fred, but that works for me. And Fred said, I'm, I'm closed up. I'm done for the night. Kids in bed. I've got all the animals put away. I ain't doing it. But it says, not because he's a friend, but because of your importunity, because of your impudence, I'm going to answer you. Now, does God want us to get rude with him or impudent with him? No, he wants you to have an attitude towards what he promised you. He wants you to have an absolute attitude that it is done, that he will never back up on his promise, that if he says, ask, you'll receive, believe that with all your heart and do it with all your heart, expecting that. He's going to come through for you. Be reckless about that. I mean, go for it. Oh, if you're not too busy, I wonder if maybe... I mean, you know that everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, it will be open to him. So with boldness, just a courage, bold heart, approach God, declare and speak over the things in your life because God is ready to say yes to you. Amen. Just turn to your neighbor and say yes. Turn to your other neighbor and say yes and Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 11. Everyone, everyone. So we're jumping into today. We're talking about waiting, the power of waiting. Amen. How many people love waiting? Wayne, you're an awesome guy. Praise you. You are way better at waiting than I am. You really are. You know, I was in a really, really long graduation service in Haiti and Wayne was enjoying it and I was waiting and I, I just realized I, I need help in the waiting area. I know, even getting on planes and waiting in terminals, I'm always checking and, you know, when I check the box for the, the fastest flights, you know, the fastest turnaround, check that box, I, you know, and then I see, well, how much more is it? Because I want to get there fast. I mean, I just hate it. I hate waiting in line. Don't you? I mean, whenever you got to wait, it's a terrible thing. And I realize my kids, they drive with me and stuff. And I'm always telling people, hurry up. What are you waiting for? Turn the corner. What's going on? What are you doing? And they're going, shut up, Dad. It's okay. I mean, I, I don't know what they're waiting for. I just, you know, I, if I go to Tim Hortons and there's a big line in the drive-thru, then I check and see if there's a line inside the store. I park, run in, because I just, I, I mean, drive-thrus are too slow for me. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's just I, waiting is not good. But you know what? Waiting on the Lord is powerful. There was a guy at the airport in the shuttle. We, in the shuttle, we're, we're driving, and then they called on the speaker and said, please stop the shuttle, wait there, don't move. And then this guy snapped. He just freaked out. And he said, we're already behind. If I miss this flight, I'm sick of these airlines. Always hold us up. Get moving. I don't know what we're waiting for. And then all of a sudden, the lady comes running up to the van, jumps on, runs right over to him and says, sir, you forgot your briefcase back on the counter, and I know you need that. I was like, Dylan and I were in the airport ready to, to go down to uh, Jamaica when we went for ministry there. And uh, we're sitting there, and I, our plane was right there, so I knew it was there. And we were having some breakfast and eating and just doing some things. And then all of a sudden, I saw the guys out with their flashlights and stuff. They're going like, this. like Dylan, that's our plane. Like, they look like they're ready to go. And then I saw them opening the door back. I was like, what's going on? And I ran down to the desk, and they said, who are you? I said, it's Dylan and Carl Thomas. I said, where have you been? We've been calling you. We're taking your luggage off the plane right now. I said, put it back on. We're ready to go. But I tell you, we got on the plane. Boy, did we get some looks. <laughs> yeah, how you doing? <laughs> you the Thomases? What's the matter with you? Didn't hear. <laughs> Not good at waiting. But, you know, waiting is a, is a whole different thing. When you get into the word waiting is good. Looks a lot, a lot of scriptures today. So here we go. You ready? Going to plow through. Waiting, the power of waiting. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say. Wait on the Lord. 
I love that. It reminds me of the, the rooster in Looney Tunes. Wait, I say, wait, wait, I say. I love it. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Isaiah 64, 4. Men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you. Listen, a God besides you who acts for the one who waits for you. God acts for people who wait. See, waiting is, it's it's not that I'm waiting for God to do something. Waiting on God is an exercise in itself where you connect yourself with the purpose of God, the purpose of heaven. God acts for people who are waiting on him. So waiting, we're going to talk about waiting. Psalm 62, 5, God, the one and only, I'll wait as long as he says everything I hope for comes from him anyway, so why not? That's from the message. The amplified version, same verse as my soul, I speak to myself, soul, wait only upon God. Silently submit to him, for my hope and my expectation are from him. If God's moving, I move. If he's not, he's not. And however long it takes to sit there still, if he's not moving, I'm not moving. So you know what? It's real simple. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. You can live in an incredible spiritual efficiency if you keep yourself established in the Lord. Sometimes a lot of activity going on in our lives, and you know, we're like Martha, baking cakes he never asked for. But you know what? Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Turn to your day and say, wait. Waiting. What is waiting? Waiting is the word kava. Kava. The accents on the va. Kava. To bind together, to expect, look eagerly for, has an affinity with the word that means to entrench. To entrench is where you're going to dig yourself in together. You're going to, you know, God works for them that entrench themselves in him. The idea of waiting on God is here you're digging yourself into, you're placing yourself, entrenching yourself in God. Now I want to show you a picture here. See, there's, there's a tree, literally two trees that started to grow together. They started, they became attached to each other. They, they literally began to share the same nutrients and everything began to grow together. One of my favorite old time preachers, George Veach, a, a man of God, he, he always preached on wait on the Lord. And when he said, when you wait on the Lord, it's where you get wrapped up in him. And you find yourself just totally engaged with him. And you're totally wrapped up. You're entrenched in who he is. And God wants you to get entrenched. He wants you to wait. He wants you to get so wrapped up in him because you are one flesh. You're a one mind. You're a one spirit. Get one with God. And the waiting prayer is how you establish that place and maintain that place because you know how to wait on the Lord. Mark chapter 135, now in the morning, having risen along before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. Jesus practiced going and ministering there before the Lord. Jesus practiced time with the Lord. As I've said before, Jesus spent time and and the effort that he spent was in waiting where he really spent time, where he really exercised himself was in that solitary place of waiting on God. And you see, when you spend the time waiting in in the Lord, when you spend the time waiting on him, then you can come out with the the efficiency that he had. Then you can speak to your situations because you come out of that place strong because it says he strengthens those who wait upon him. So you come out of that place with strength and you're able to order your world to speak to situations and circumstances because you did the hard and heavy lift of waiting on the Lord. Say waiting. Waiting Waiting on the Lord. Psalm 25, verse 5, for in a time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, establishing yourself in him. Matthew 6, 6, we read it a few weeks ago. It says, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, say shut your door. This is the busiest, craziest, nuttiest society ever in the existence of mankind. How many of you are messing on your iPhones right now? Kennard. How many? (laughs) Kennard said, I'm looking at the notes online. That's what I'm doing. It's, It's good. I knew you were. Well, I mean, we got so much distraction, so many things, I mean, screaming at us, you know, and it's a very, very busy time. But it says, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father. Where is the father anyways? Where is he? He's in the secret place. He's in the secret place. Pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And that was the principle of Jesus' life, and that was Jesus' words. Jesus knew what it was to engage the father in the secret place, and he knew that whatever he experienced openly in his life was a manifestation of the heavy lifting in the secret place. Have you been doing some heavy lifting in the secret place? 
Have you been busy at the work of waiting? Waiting on the Lord. Waiting on God. John 15, 4 and 7. It says, abide. Say, abide. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me if... And this is really important. A lot of times when you see ifs, we start building conditional religion. We start building, you know, ifs and buts and candies and nuts. And we start, you know, thinking about performance Christianity. That should be translated more since. Because since you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Even in, in uh, John 15 where it says the branch that has fallen down, it says... You know, some, most translations say that, that he, he cuts it off, but it really doesn't say that. If you go to the original, it says he lifts it up. I mean, if you're a good vine dresser, if a branch has fallen in the mud, what do you do? Cut it off? No, I mean, that whole vine, it's, it's a part of a whole. And what do you do? You pick it up. You pick it up out of the dirt and you reattach it. You attach it to those, those wires that they, they put across to keep it up out of the mud. Why? Because he is absolutely committed to you being fruitful. He's committed that if you fall in the mud, he will pick you up. Isn't that good? I fell in the mud. I'm in danger of getting cast out. No, it says he will pick you up. Go study it. Go look at it. Be free you know, from fear and bondage because he's a good God. He's not a touchy God. Oh, I was just about to bless you, but you fell in the mud again. <laughs> you fell in the mud. You know what he's going to come and do? He's going to pick you up. Because he's committed to you being fruitful. He's committed. He says, I chose you, and I chose you to bear fruit, fruit that remains. Amen? Aren't you glad it's all about him? Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, waiting. G. Morgan Campbell, great revivalist. He said, waiting on God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. Third, the ability to do nothing. The ability to do nothing. The ability to do nothing until the command is given. Sometimes that's the worst activity is, gee, God's not doing anything. Let's make something up. You know, if God's not doing anything, then you shouldn't be doing anything. And, and that, that's what I love. I, I love, you know, some of the prophets in the Word of God didn't prophesy for years. But if God's not saying anything, then you don't need to be saying anything. You know, people, I'm a prophet. I got to prophesy. Not really. You know, you really only got to open your mouth if God's got something to say. It says he puts his words in your mouth. And, you know, so it's really important. Whatever you're doing, you can live in an efficiency. Keep your eyes on him. I love uh, the people of Israel. Remember, the cloud represented the presence of God. If the cloud moved, you moved. If the cloud stopped, you stopped. If the cloud stayed for a week, stay for a week. If the cloud gets up and goes for three weeks, you go for three weeks. But it's real simple. It's real easy. You ready? Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. What is the cloud doing? And you got to wait on him. you got to be aware of what he is doing, waiting for God. Uh, A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes in your mind when you think about God? Let's take that a step back a little bit. Please think about God. First of all, you got to be taking time where you think about God. Have you taken time where you just step back and you contemplate and you spend time just actively on purpose thinking on God, directing your thoughts on God? Because whatever comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. See, then if thinking is important, here's the next thing. you got to think right about God. And that's where if you don't expose yourself to the word, expose yourself and broaden yourself to what God is saying. If you keep yourself in a narrow little circle of your own personal revelation, you limit yourself and who God is because your belief system is limited to, to what you can understand and what you know. And a lot of people, they want to stay in their own little club, my own little circle. I don't want to expand it any, not even a bit because, you know, I got my stuff. I know my stuff. You know what you know, you know it's good, but there's more. And some of you are afraid to expand their horizon. And, and what are you thinking about God? You know, don't be afraid to press the envelope a little bit. But the very most important thing to meditate on is the Word of God. And the Word of God is wonderful because it's an ob objective truth that God has given us that we can look at. We can know that this is the will and testament of God. And what you know about God is the most important thing about you. Caroline Leaf said, your image of God creates you. 
Your image of God creates you. Bunch of Caroline Leaf stuff, because I happen to be doing a small group with Caroline Leaf right now. So the image, your image of God creates you. F.W. Faber, only to sit and think of God. Oh, what a joy it is to think the thought, to breathe the name earth has no greater bliss. What are you going to do? I can't wait to get out of here because I'm going to go spend time waiting on God. Waiting on God should be the most thrilling thing. That's why it says, it says, who ascends the mountain of the Lord? The person who doesn't lift their soul up to vanity. What does it mean to lift your soul up to vanity? I can't wait for the Super Bowl. Woo! Well, we're having a prayer meeting on Wednesday. Oh, yeah, well, whatever. But the Super Bowl. See, when you get excited about stuff in this world more than you get excited about waiting on God, you got some soul issues. You got a seeker problem. I love the Super Bowl. I actually can't wait for the Super Bowl. Mostly, for the first time in my life, I'm an Eagles fan because I'm definitely not a Patriots fan. Anyways, leave that aside, you know. Don't want to mess with anybody, but uh, praise Jesus. <laughs> See, we, we, look at that. See, we step right out of the Spirit just like that. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. All right. Contemplation. Now, we want to move not just uh, have... have uh, you know, uh, transactional prayer, because a lot of what we taught so far is like transactional prayer with the Lord, but we want to talk, talk about transformational prayer, not just transactional prayer, but transformational prayer, where we, we move into new realms of renewing our mind and having the fullness of God manifest in our lives. So contemplation, contemplation, the action of looking thoughtfully at something for a long time. Let me read that for you again. The action of looking thoughtfully at something for a long time. Richard Rohr, he's the fellow who right now, he sends me 2.30 every morning a, a little email and a little study, and, and I'm looking at Richard Rohr right now, and he's opening some windows for me. Some of it's good. Some of it's causing me to think, but I've enjoyed Richard Rohr. But Richard Rohr says, contemplation is a long, loving look at the real. A long, loving look at the real. And if you spent time with a long, loving look in the face of God, in the face of God, Thomas Merton, true contemplation is not a psychological trick. It's a theological grace. So meditation, contemplation, soaking, marinating, pickling, whatever you want to call it, where you spend time getting saturated in the presence of God and waiting solely on Him and looking at Him is a very, very important aspect of your spiritual maturity and growth in the fullness of what God's given you. So you got to do it. So we want to talk about it. Contemplation, prayer, transformation prayer. Dr. Leaf again, she said, God made us to take time each day to put all our focus on him and our life, to think deeply. Say deeply. deeply. A lot of people don't think deeply. You know, if, if the thinking you're doing isn't making the changes in your life you need to make, then you got to go deeper. And it's not necessarily even deeper in the Lord. It's deeper in your own mind. It's deeper in your own heart. Do you know, your emotion, a lot of stuff comes out of your subconscious. Your emotions, every time you express an emotion, every emotion is tied to a memory. And you see, if you've got, you got nasty things in your subconscious, you've got hurts and pains and all kinds of stuff there, what you do, your actions are always tied to things in your head. You've got to take time to sort them out. And the best way to sort them out is by focusing on God and contemplating on God, thinking about Him and thinking about you in light of Him. That's very important stuff. Think deeply about what is working and what's not working, what needs to change. These moments of thinking deeply and reflection are one of the most powerful things we can do for our brains and for our lives. Your brain, did you know that your brain is a, it's, it's a, it's a neuroplastic thing. It's an amazing thing that God gave you a brain, but your brain is, is not like this. Like I could throw this lid. I wouldn't, but if I threw it and it got a dent, it would be dented. We'd have to fix it and be very hard to get that dent out. Your brain's not like that. Your brain could be damaged and every day you get new cells. Every day new things are created and you can recreate your brain. Your brain isn't like something that is fixed that, that can get damaged and it's damaged forever, you can heal your brain literally by thinking right. And what's beautiful about believers is that we have the mind of Christ. We have access to God. We have access to the spirit of truth, the God who leads us into all truth. And I mean, man, we should be people who are, are living at, at absolute peak performance and are never dumbed down or struggling with nonsense in our subconscious that we, you know, randomly act crazy just because we're not taking responsibility for ourselves. Just lay a hand on me, pastor. Just cast that out of me. Some things you can't cast out. It's actually got to get worked out. 
And you got to work it out. And where you can work it out is transformationally spending time waiting on God in the proper context on the right stuff. If you're meditating on nonsense, you're going to manifest nonsense. So you got to make sure that you're focusing on and you're, you're, you're looking at what you need to be looking at and you're focusing on God's Word in those areas for transformation. Can I get an amen? All right, Psalm chapter 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield, my horn, my salvation, my stronghold. The Lord is my stronghold. See, strongholds aren't bad. Some strongholds are really good. Strongholds of, uh, of thought, strongholds of, of established behavior where you've, you've dominated in an area in your life where you've got it right. And you got a stronghold, a proper way of behaving. You've established something in your mind and in your heart and in your spirit. So God is my stronghold. It's good, good. God is my stronghold. Now there's such a thing as an evil stronghold. Had to go to a black screen. <laughs> an evil stronghold. This demonically induced and possibly controlled pattern of thinking. Listen now. It's a dwelling place that I have created. It's a dwelling place that I have created. The devil can't take up space in your mind if you don't let him. And see, you can establish a place where suddenly you go, what's going on? Why have I developed behaviors? Why have I developed habits and attitudes that I know aren't right? What's going on? You have laid a few bricks in your world. You've laid a few bricks of constant thinking, dwelling on some wrong stuff. You got a screwed up belief system and you've let it exist. You built it and it's in your head. It's a pattern of thinking. It's a dwelling place that I have created or I allowed to exist, which gives ground for demonic influence. And sometimes it's not that you're demon-possessed, it's that, it's that you've allowed yourself to partner with demonic attitudes and ways of being. And you're just moving ahead in life. la di da I'm doing good, praise Jesus. And the devil goes, he's looking like he's doing real good. Let's push that stronghold. And you go, well, why did I do that again? Here's the good news. Whatever you built up, you can tear down. Whatever toxic got in there, you've got authority to deal with it and renew it. So you know what? You can, you can change bad thinking with good thinking, and you can rewire and rewrite everything that's messed up. Any part of your brain that's gone toxic or strange, you can recreate it, and you can turn it around. But it's going to take contemplation. It's going to take deep thinking. It's going to take meditation on your part, on the truth, and on the Word of God. Sadly, some people still meditate on nonsense. They still meditate on the wrong things. They still support those things that, that cause the difficulties in your life. Now, evil stronghold. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan, the god of this evil world, has blinded the minds. He's blinded the minds of those who do not believe. So he sets up strongholds. He establishes But we have the power, even in prayer, to tear down strongholds. Now, I can't control anybody, but I can tear down the strongholds that keep them from the revelation of Christ. I can pray over them over and over again. I can ask God, is it God's will to save my neighbor? Yes. And, you know, I can ask and then I can keep seeking. I say, Lord, are there any strategies that we could use to reach them? Yes. Bake them a cake. All right, I'll bake them a cake. Go knock on the door. And then I now, I used to pull in the cul-de-sac this way right into my driveway. And I know I should go around, but it's close, so I just pull right across. Although snowbanks are so high now, sometimes I pull across, there's a car coming the other way, and I can't see them. But anyways, but now I'm driving around. I'm driving around on purpose. I go, bless, 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 bless. Now I'm just, I'm doing drive-by, drive-by shootings every day. Drive-by blessings in Jesus' name. So that's the strategy I got right now, is now I'm seeking. Now I'm, I'm putting them in my frame of reference. I'm now praying for them. And it's funny how people you're praying for, they come more into your mind, your affection, and everything, because you start praying for them. So that's my strategy. But I'm believing God's going to give me the next step for how to knock open the doors and bring the good news of the gospel. So there's, it's all strategic stuff, things you're doing. So there's strongholds there, so the Lord might give you direction. I cast down everything that is trying to keep them from the knowledge of you, Lord. I cast down every vain imagination that keeps them from you. And we can do that. I can't control another person, but I can. Everything that's hindering them, I command it to go. I cast it down in Jesus' name. A good stronghold. Strongholds, they can be good thought patterns that govern behavior. As a man thinketh, so he is. You cannot behave beyond what you think. Your thinker is affecting a lot of your liver. <laughs> not your liver. Not your, although it probably is affecting your liver too. But, but your living is affected by your thinking. Amen? So repeat the pattern and the rut gets deeper until you develop a seemingly uncontrollable behavior. But here's some good uncontrollable behaviors. Love. 
kindness, graciousness, tenderhearted. Just, just, you know, you can develop habits that I have chosen to see every person as in the image of God, as a, a person who is worthy of my love, my greatest tender affection and care. And no person is an obstacle to me. No person is somebody I judge like them, don't like them. You know, we, we, we do that. We think, you know, tall, short, fat, skinny, like them, don't like them. You don't have that option. Like them, love them, nuts about them, created in the image of God. Adore those people. I don't care who they are, if they believe different than you, walk different from you, who they are, even if they drive a Ford. God bless them. But you know, we are so used to in Christianity saying we got to pick sides. There's only one side, it's the Lord's side. And guess what? God's for everybody. He's for everybody, and you should be for everybody. I mean, who made you judge of everything? Get over yourself. Stop it. Okay. All right. Almost got preaching there. Caroline Leaf, again, your genes may provide the blueprint, but they hand, it, hand controlled over to your brain. So you know what? Your genes are there, and whatever got passed down to you from mom and dad, you don't have to say, well, that's, that's my family. I got all that from my family. Well, guess what? Your brain is your brain. Your genes were passed down to you, but you can close genes and you can open genes. If there's genes that got passed on that are negative and have slant towards negativity, close them down and you can open up the positive ones. You're not a victim of your DNA. Your DNA is your servant and your thinking is the switch that turns it all on. But you know what? All of this will only happen if you spend time soaking in the presence of God. Can you get everything really, really right? There's a level God wants to take you to that only soaking, marinating, pickling, contemplating meditation will take you. And if you don't build into your life significant times where you come aside and away to God to just focus on Him, please do it. Because it's showing one way or the other. Well, I'd be a lot better if you were a better pastor. Well, praise Jesus. <laughs> Go ahead and blame me, why don't you? Just the other day I was saying, this church, you gave me, Lord, if they were just a little better, bye, we could take the world. We're so easy to blame other people and other things. You know what? But God's for you. You know, my dreams are way bigger than this church or any other place could ever be into manifestation. How about you? All right. So, I mean, let's get on with it. All right. Think your way well. John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So truth doesn't make you free. It's your knowledge of the truth that makes you free. So you're just sitting there and saying, I got five Bibles at home. Good for you. That's awesome. You know, having a Bible is not going to bring freedom into your life. Even reading your Bible won't necessarily bring freedom into your life. But it's the amount of the word, it's the amount of the revelation of Christ that you know, that you own, that you've come into a personal revelation of. When you know the truth, trust me, you don't have to then hope for freedom. It'll make you free. It won't offer you freedom. You get knowing truth and it'll work in you. Knowing truth will make you free. I want to get free, pastor. Know the truth. Spend some time on the truth. Spend some time meditating on the truth. And I tell you, freedom is an immediate byproduct because the truth will make you free. But it is a byproduct of knowledge. John 16, 13, however, when he comes, now this is so good, you got the word of God, the living word of God, the powerful word of God, but then you got Holy Ghost. You got the third person, the act of the economic manifestation of the Trinity in your life, working with you, partnering with you, and he will lead you into all truth. Oh my goodness, how advantaged are we? I mean, you go to the office, there's poor people don't believe in God, and you're walking in, and you're operating out of the wealth, wisdom, and knowledge of the kingdom of God. They're to serve, to bless, and to love. And sooner or later, your boss is going to go, I think our business is blessed because of you. I think you're right. Because you got so many great ideas. I mean, I mean, it's a sad thing when believers are a hindrance to the business. Amen? You know, some believers think they got the prayer closet, and it's the bathroom, and they go there for three hours a day. And I was in the bathroom praying, and my boss got mad at me. I get mad at you, too. You're on his time. Get a grip on your life. I was just trying to, trying to pray and get with the Lord. Get with the Lord on your own time. You're on his clock. Smarten up. You're supposed to be an amazing manifestation of what it is to be a servant of God. So stop it. You're not that spiritual. All right. That was good. Somebody needed that. Okay, three people in the back there. All right, good. Come on, we're moving on. Say, we're moving on, Pastor. The subconscious mind learns by repetition and not by logic. You're not going to have this change because 
Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to do that. That's not going to change a thing. Even if you heard it, doesn't mean anything in your world is going to change. Your world will only change through repetition. The subconscious mind learns through repetition and not logic. Add strong belief to what you focus on, and it will have more of an impact. Romans 10.10, for the heart, with the heart you believe unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the two things have to work. You got to get your heart and your mouth working in the same direction. Say, my heart is believing and my mouth is speaking. When you get your receiver and your speaker working together, just like at home, right? How many people got a stereo system? You got to have the receiver and the speakers working the same way. And they got to be working together. Well, it's, you're not going to have a manifestation of salvation because it says unto salvation. You're not going to have a manifestation of salvation in your life unless your believer and your speaker are working together. So you got to believe and speak. You got to believe it in your heart. Get it written on your heart and then confess it, declare it, mutter it, babble it over your life and you're going to see things transform in your world. Can I get an amen just for fun? All right, give me a picture right here. See that? That's a cow. What do cows do? What does mommy do? No, no, no. Okay. So what do cows do? Moo. Okay. Thank you very much. This is a test question. All right. So I wanted to show you this because a cow has one stomach, but it has four compartments. So the cow, and you see those arrows going back and forth. The cows can eat anything. You know, cows eat all kinds of junk. You know, if a cow's eating too much metal or something, you know what the farmer gives the cow? A magnet. And not really to get rid of it, but just to, to draw all the metal together in his belly to some place so that he can get on with life. Isn't that amazing? I mean, these cows, they got like an iron gut. It's unbelievable. So, so cows, though, they, they take in the first compartment, they take whatever they take in, and they'll mess with that a bit. And then, oh, pardon me. That was terrible. That was awful. But they'll just like, they'll just spit it back up in their mouth. And then if it's, if it's emulsified enough, they'll throw it back into the next part of their belly. If it's not, it'll go back in that iron gut again. And, and that's what they do. Pastor, what has this got to do with anything? Have you ever heard of chewing your cud? You ever heard chewing your cud? How many, how many have no idea what I'm talking about? Well, you see, that's, that's a farm. You lost it? You haven't been to the farm? You got to go to the farm, brother. Praise the Lord. There's so much truth in nature. Well, you see, <laughs> see they, they eat the grass. They're eating. They're taking in the word. And when they're devouring that, you know, it's got to get broken down. So they go through this process where five or six times they may whatever it takes to process that and get it down. What's this got to do with you? Give me another slide just for fun here. Give me another slide. All right. It's called rumination. Rumination works by chewing and swallowing in a normal way to begin with and then regurgitating the semi-digested and then cut and then we rechew it and to get, get the most out of your value or most value out of that food. Rumin <laughs> rumination makes the half-digested food particles smaller before they can go through the process of digestion. What has that got to do with this, Pastor? That's what meditation is. That's what, that's what soaking in the word and soaking with God is. It's a process of back and forth. It's a process of, of taking it and bringing it and evaluating it again, looking at it again, over and over. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. It doesn't come by a one time, I heard that once. No, sometimes you've got to hear it again. And you've got to hear it again. You've got to meditate on it again. And faith comes by hearing and hearing. And it's that whole, just like the cow's belly, you've got to take that truth. You've got to take that thing. Because, you know, truth comes in seed form into your life. And you might have somebody else, they've really got a truth. They've really got it. And you Teach me that truth. And you go, hmm, yeah, okay. Oh, let me write that down. Hmm, that's really good. You don't got it. That's just a seed. That seed's now got to go, and you've got to go through a process where you're going you're gonna to put that in a real good spot, and you're going to meditate on that, and you're going to take time with that because you want that to come in full manifestation in your life. So, folks, that's what waiting on the Lord is. It's waiting on Him. It's getting wrapped up in Him. It's getting entrenched in Him and His mind and His thoughts and His ways of being and doing life. And if you're not doing that, you got to do that because it's a big part of your prayer life is you don't have to keep your hand on the button all the time going, Lord, I just got to talk to you right now. Take your hand off the button once in a while. Let Him speak. I mean, there's a lot of times, Lord, I just got to tell you, I'm coming to you now, right now, and then I want to do acts. I want to adore you. I want to confess things to you. I want to thank you for stuff. And now, supplication. Thanks very much. 10-4, good buddy. Over and up. 
Turn to your neighbor and say, take your hand off the button. For long periods of time. You know, listen. Don't just listen in your prayer time to God. Listen to the people in front of you today. Listen to the people in front of you at work. Listen to the people around you. Listen to the person at the cash register. Listen to the person in the thing. Can I help you? <laughs> yeah, can I get a double-double? There's people everywhere in your world. Listen. A lot of people don't listen. They got their hand on the button full time. Take your hand off the button. Pay attention to what's going on around you and take some time to pay attention to the Lord. Can I get a hallelujah? I got to wrap up. Say wrap up, pastor. I knew you could do it. All right. Benefits awaiting really fast. Joshua 1 verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. That word is haga. Meditate. It means to mutter it. Where does the word? It shall not depart from your mouth. So you're speaking the word of God. You're speaking the word of God over you. I'm the apple of his eye. I'm the delight of God. He's nuts about me. He will never, ever leave me or forsake me. I mean, he, he is bound to me. He is nuts. He is one with me, one flesh, one spirit with me. I mean, you meditate on the word of God and keep confessing it, keep speaking it. Mutter the word. It literally means to mutter the word of God. And do it day and night so that you can observe to do according to all that's written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. So listen, who makes your way prosperous? Who gets good success in your life? You do. And how do you do it? Through meditation, through, through times where you spend time aside with God, focusing on Him. I'm going to give you four really, really fast. Just You can go look at the notes later, but it's all in Psalm 27. Waiting on God brings confidence. Waiting on God brings confidence. It says, the war may rise up against me because you are my light, my salvation. You're my stronghold because of that. And because I know that, and I've got that in my spirit, because I've waited on you, I will be confident. You'll get confidence when you're waiting on God. Number two, number two, it's all out of Psalm 27. Waiting on God brings joy. I love that. He says, boy, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You said, seek me, Lord. I said, yeah, let's do it. Behold the beauty of the Lord. I want to inquire in his temple. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy. When you spend time in the presence of God, what is it? It says, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. There's fullness of joy. I mean, the benefits of waiting on God is joy. If the joy factor in your life is really down, spend some time waiting on God. It'll give you confidence. It'll give you joy. Number three, really fast. Waiting secures your identity. Waiting on God secures your identity. Lord, you hear me. Lord, you said, seek me. I'm seeking your face. If the whole world walks out on me, even my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Because I am a child of God. I really am a child of God. Everybody could walk out on me, but my identity comes from my relationship with God. Your identity is secured when you wait on God. Number four. Number four. Waiting on God, you experience Him. Waiting on God is the best part of that is it's with Him. It's God Almighty. It's enjoying intimate friendship with God Almighty. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness. What is goodness? It's a synonymous for glory. What did Moses see when he said, show me your glory? He saw the goodness of God. I would lose heart if you told me, oh, you know, it's all going to be a mess till we get to go be with Jesus. I would have lost heart if you told me that. But you know what? Right now, I can walk and I can experience his presence. Right now, I walk in the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What would have become of me if I had not believed I would see? Say see. I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. One more time. One more verse. There it is. The last verse of that psalm. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. I just want to gather around the table. We're going to do that now as we close. So I just want you to wait on the Lord. I want you to focus on Him. I want you to just try right now. Say, I want to meditate on Him. I want to focus on Him. I want to just practice right now. Just an art where I know you're in a room and there's people around you. You might have, you know, friends around you or loved ones beside you, but wait on the Lord. I want you to really focus on Him. There's so many incredible promises attached to contemplation and waiting on Him. And we're going to have communion. And the beautiful thing about communion, it's that common union. It's union with Him. It's where He and I connect. It's where you and I connect. We're going to focus on Him. And it says He manifests Himself in the breaking of the bread. And so we're believing right now. 
that we're going to encounter you, Father, in a beautiful way, right here in your presence. I don't want to bring to you the sacrifice of fools. I don't want to bring to you words or things that you've not asked for or not desired. I don't want to bring you cakes that you never asked for. I don't want to bake things that you never spoke about. I want to be centered and focused on you and you alone. And it's good just to be quiet sometimes and just reflect on how wonderful he is and how good he is. See the depth of his love for us and the way he confronted every issue that stood between you and I, that stood between him and us. And he broke down every barrier and every single wall. He removed it all. When the veil of the temple was rent, that means that he's out of the box and he's never going back in any religious systems or structures. And he did all of that because where he always wanted to live was in living stones, in a living temple, in people that are, have hearts knit together in communion, in a common union. You know, it says if you can't love your brother who you can see, how can you love him who you can't see? If you can't listen to the person you can see, how can you listen? I know it doesn't say that in Scripture. I'm taking a bit of a liberty there. It does say if you don't love the one in front of you, you can't see. How can you love the one you can't? I think listening has a lot to do with love. If you can't listen, respect, and honor the person in front of you, how can you listen to him? Sometimes the best way to practice if you're able to hear his voice is are you really present in hearing the people that are around you? I thank God that he put us in a community. I thank God that he didn't save us as individuals and just leave us floating out there in the world until he comes back and gets us. But he put us in a loving family, in a loving community. You know, when Paul got the revelation in Corinthians, though, he did say, but let a man examine himself. It's a good time when we come to the table. It's a good time of contemplation. It's a good time to examine yourself. And it's not to see if you're worthy or not, because you're not. It doesn't say don't come if you're not worthy. It says don't do it in an unworthy manner. It would be unworthy not to reflect. It would be unworthy not to consider. It would be unworthy not to do it and realize I'm doing it in a community. I'm doing it with others. And I respect you. I love you. I honor you. And Father, I respect you. I love you. And I honor you. Renew my mind, Lord. I don't want to go on and on without transformation in my life. Lord, I thank you that when I come to this table, I don't come on my merits or my works, but I come by your grace alone. But I come and I respect what you've done and I honor what you've done. And I ask you as I'm reflecting at this moment, as I'm examining myself right now, thank you for the grace to be transformed. Thank you for the grace to be aligned with you. Thank you that I'm created in your image, but I'm also created in your likeness. And thank you that because I'm created in that likeness, I can be a container wholly flooded and filled with God himself. So Father, I want to drink deeply of you today. I want to drink deeply of this covenant today. I want to eat the bread that speaks of my healing, and I want to drink the cup that speaks of my salvation. Let it be complete in me. Father, the things that I can't do by trying harder, I pray that through these times of reflection with you, looking into your word and honoring the spirit of truth in my life, that I'd be transformed, looking at your face to ever-increasing glory. Because Jesus, I am so in love with you. So the bread, we have this little wafer, and it says, by his stripes we are healed. And this represents his body, which was given for us. His body wasn't broken for us, it was torn open. But it was a body that was given for us. And by his stripes we are healed, we really are. And I want to embrace that, every bit of it right now. I insist right now that this new covenant be fully manifest in my life. Because it's your word, Lord. And I don't, I don't want to you know, diminish any aspect of your promise and who you are, but I want to embrace it fully. So fathers, we eat today, we eat with revelation and we eat with knowledge and we eat with understanding that Father, your body, the bread of the Lord, the bread of life, 
the children's bread is healing. And so, Father, we pray for healing body, soul, spirit. We pray for healing of relationships, healing of every other aspect. We pray, Lord, for the transformational power of the cross to be manifest in our physical world, our physical lives right now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. The cup. <laughs> the cup. Jesus said, this is a cup of blessing. It's a cup of blessing. Say blessing. Thank you. You are blessed. I am blessed. And he's given me a cup of blessing. And I thank you that it's a new covenant in your blood. And we thank you that it's sealed, signed, and delivered. And it's an amen. So, Father, we thank you for this new covenant. We thank you for salvation, full and free. We embrace it now. We drink to the full revelation of eternal life, of full life, abundant life, to be expressed and manifest and overflowing in our hearts and in our personal worlds and lives. And we thank you for it now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Bless you, Lord. Father, I ask you that as we shared your word today, I pray that what you had placed in my heart, what you desired to sow in the seeds of people here, I pray you'd push it deep. I pray that each one would get a revelation of what it is to just wait on you, to wait before you, the benefits of waiting on the Lord, to just find time to make it an amazing discipline because the benefits really are out of this world. The benefits are amazing. So, Father, I press that seed deep into hearts and lives today as we continue this journey on prayer and turning up the volume in our prayer life and our world. Lord, let this seed find good soil in hearts today, I pray in Jesus' name. And now, Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that your love and the revelation of your great love would just be so clearly manifest to each one here. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for all that you have won for us. I thank you that you've blessed us and lavished us with heavenly favor. May the revelation of that be clear in every life and in every heart. Holy Spirit, thank you for your friendship, for your continued partnership, for being the spirit of truth and enablement, the one who is my advocate and my standby, who walks with me every day, empowers me and manifests and testifies of Jesus in and through my life. Thank you that you go with me to demonstrate the kingdom and demonstrate your power in my personal world and in the world of all I love. So Holy Ghost, thank you for being with us. I bless you. I bless you all. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen.